You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Why are you a Christian? Well, here's why. If you're a real one, it's not because you're going to be a part of a denomination or a non-denomination like this. It's not so you can have some buddies at church. It's not so you can be in a holy social club. It's to follow Him. It's to follow Him. And you know why Christianity doesn't work for so many people? Because, well, I tried it. It didn't do a thing for me. He didn't answer my prayer. Have you ever been discouraged from attending church? Have you ever felt like you want to stay away from something that seems like it only serves to put restrictions over your life? Today, Pastor Jeff explains that if you want to completely transform your life for the better and be a new person, you need to submit to God's authority. It'll never feel natural and will always be something that goes against your human nature. But if you want to be changed, you need to let God be in control. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark, chapter 1, as he continues his message immediately. John denied the suggestion that he was the Messiah when he began to baptize people in the Jordan. If you've ever been in the Jordan, I have. And if you ever have a chance to go, go. But that Jordan River is freezing cold. I baptized people in it, and I got baptized in it. And I mean, you come up sort of bobbing because it's cold. But here's John. He's fully immersing people. Now, I want you to understand when the Bible uses the word baptism, baptizo is the Greek word. It doesn't mean sprinkled. It means dunked. If you get baptized here, we put you down. And we get you to quote the Lord's Prayer before you come back up. I'm just kidding. But we do put you all the way down because baptism means to be immersed, not sprinkled, immersed. So here he is, he's dunking people, and as he dunks them, they're repenting of their sin. But all he was was a trailblazer. He was the one born to go before the Messiah and make straight his path. So he had a divine purpose. The angel is told, had told his father, Zechariah, he's going to be the prophet of the highest, John the Baptist. But he said, I'm not the Messiah. He said, when he shows up, here's how you're going to know who he is. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? He's going to fully immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sprinkled when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I want to be immersed. And he said, he's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to know that he's the one. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit baptizes all of us into the body of Christ. Immersed us. See, it doesn't matter what the denominational tag is. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, doesn't matter. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, you're part of my family, and I'll fellowship with you because we have been baptized, all of us, into the body of Christ. But that's another message. When Jesus showed up at the banks of the Jordan, he was baptized by John, who at first said, what are you doing letting me baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And John the Baptist, or Jesus said to John, no, suffer it to be so that I would fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me, John. 
Can you imagine if you're John and you've already had the Holy Spirit tell you that's him, can you imagine putting down under the water the very son of the living God? Can you imagine how carefully he must have baptized him? And when he came up out of the water, we have our first immediately. It says in verse 10, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting. Greek word there is torn open or rent asunder. Now, I don't know what that means, but when they were looking up into heaven, up at the sky, there was a, there was a renting, a tearing asunder, an opening, and from that opening came the Spirit of God. And it descended right over Jesus' head in the form of a dove. Wow. Now, Luke, not Mark, but Luke, adds this, that it was while Jesus prayed that the heaven was opened or rent asunder and the Holy Spirit depended, or descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, this is where the value of the synoptics come in. You see, Mark said, as he went under the water and came up. But Luke adds, while he was in prayer. Now, I believe that one of the reasons for that is God doesn't want us to think that getting baptized in water is what got him touched by the Holy Spirit. It was while he prayed. And I believe what the message of the word is, is that it wasn't the water. It was the life of Jesus and his obedience to God. It was his overall obedience. And this is why God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was God well pleased? Because his life had been one of perfect obedience. In all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And it was also the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him in preparation for his showdown in the desert. That's what I like to call it. His showdown in the desert with Satan and his ministry afterward. Now, I want to pluck some principles out of these truths, and I want you to catch this. This come, brings us to our second immediately. It says, immediately after the Spirit came upon him, he was driven of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That word driven comes from a Greek word meaning to send out. He was sent out, sent into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness, we're told, 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. We also know he was fasting. He hadn't eaten a thing. 40 days with no food, driven of the spirit into the wilderness. There in the wilderness, here's what greeted him a lonely and a desolate place. There was no human being there to smile, to reach out an encouraging hand and help him. He was totally and completely alone in the wilderness in terms of any human contact. And it was desolate. The second thing he encountered, and no, none of the other writers tell us about this, wild beasts. So I did a little exploring. What beasts were in the wilderness Jesus went into? Lions? Wolves, leopards, and snakes. Here's the Son of God, and I'll tell you what I believe. You can, you can chew the meat and spit out the bones, but here's what I believe. 
He, he being God, the lions and the leopards and the wolves wouldn't touch him. They recognized their creator. Now that's what I believe. I believe that Jesus, you know, usually, or a lot of the times when you read about St. Francis of Assisi, for instance, it, it says that he could hold out his hand and a bird would come and land on his finger. I think that's hogwash. I've wished birds would land on my finger. They won't get near me. They're terrified of me. But I think that Jesus, the son of God, could hold out his hand and they would land on his finger because he made them. He made them. But that's what was there. Lions, wolves, leopards, snakes, howlings in the night as he sat in that wilderness place 40 days. And then, of course, Satan himself, who in God's wisdom and ways, and I don't fully understand this, but in God's wisdom and ways, Jesus had to defeat the devil in the wilderness location before embarking on his public ministry. It was a showdown in the desert. It was a cosmic confrontation. The son of the living God always has been, always will be. The fallen archangel, the foe, the enemy, the hater of all mankind and the source of all evil met and battled one another. And what was the battleground? The mind. What was the weapon? Truth and deception. Ideas. The knowledge of the word of God that Jesus possessed. What did Satan attack? The truth. How did Jesus defeat him? With the truth. Matthew and Luke tell us, Mark does not, but Matthew and Luke tell us that he faced three major temptations. And all that Mark does is just lay out the fact that he went in the wilderness and fought the devil. But here's the principle. Let me share a principle with you. Often a great blessing precedes a great battle. Jesus comes up out of that water and the Spirit of God descended on him. And not just the Spirit of God, but the voice of the Father. And it said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You talk about affirmation. You talk about a defining moment. And yet no sooner had this blessing come upon him that he was driven into the wilderness and he faced the devil. Please understand, great warfare can either precede a great blessing or follow a great blessing. It says immediately he was driven to meet the devil and as a great blessing can precede a great test, so also a great test often precedes a great breakthrough. Maybe you're fighting in a financial area or you're fighting some temptation. But I, you know, it hit me tonight as I was getting ready for this that your private battles prepare you for public ministry. And, and here's, here's Jesus. Nobody's watching this but God and the angels and the devil. There's nobody else there. And he goes into a personal, private confrontation with the adversary of his soul. And there in the wilderness, we will never comprehend what was at stake. Our salvation was at stake. The death of Christ on the cross was at stake. Jesus being the spotless son of God was at stake. 
Because if he had blown it in the wilderness, he would not have been without sin. And if he had not been without sin, he couldn't have died for hours. So Satan was going for the jugular. He was going in for keeps. And Jesus defeated him. And as soon as the battle was finished, it says angels ministered to him. As soon as the victory had been won, angels are there. And I found something on top of that that really, really spoke to me. Luke tells us, not Mark, but Luke, that when Jesus went into the wilderness, he went in filled with the Spirit. The Greek word is the one we use for filled, and it's translated filled. But it says when he came out of the wilderness, it was in the power of the Spirit. Dunamis. He went in filled. He came out in the power. This is why I tell you, private victories bring public favor and private victories bring increased anointing. So you may think, well, the battles I'm going through, they don't really matter. I'm not, it's no big deal. It's just between, between me and God. And, and whether I win or lose, there's not that much at stake. Yes, there is. Because when you win a private battle, there is something about it. And I don't know exactly what all is involved, but I do know that when you win a private victory and you slay your lion and your bear when no one's looking, it increases the anointing and the favor and the power on your life. Are y'all with me? So man, if you're, whatever your battle is, fight it and fight it to win. And if you fail, repent, get up and fight it again. Because on the other side of that victory, there is another level of anointing and another level of favor and another level of breakthrough and another level of power. Jesus went in filled with the Spirit, but he came out, walked into his hometown, stood in the pulpit, opened up Isaiah 61, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Who's this cat think he's saying? Who's he think he is? Isn't this Joseph's boy? Uh-uh. Now he's standing in the pulpit in the power of the Spirit. And shortly he's going to encounter a demon in church and cast him out. Because I'm going to tell you, demons come to church. Now, don't look at your neighbor. Look up here at me. <laughs> and then we finally we come to the third immediately. Here's the third immediately. And it's found in the context of Jesus calling his first disciples. And I guess of the three immediately's, this one touches me more than any of them. Let me just read to you Mark 1, 16 through 18. We read it, but let me do it quickly again. It says that uh, in verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, after he'd come out of the wilderness, and now he's walking in the power of the Spirit, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And what did he say to them? Follow me. And I will make you, now I want you to, if you got a pen, and I hope you're, you got a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's like you came to church in your underwear. If you don't have a Bible, tell me and I'll get you a Bible. That's your sword. Bring a Bible to church. Now, if you got your Bible and a pen, I want you to underline or circle the word become. Become. It's so powerful. Become. 
become. He said, follow me and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. Now they gave to Jesus an immediate response. Now I learned a long time ago that the people in the Bible are no different from you and me. These brothers, Peter and Andrew, were just like you and me. And I want you to catch the reality here that Jesus had to say something extremely compelling for them to leave everything. Leave their daddy standing in the boat and walk off from everything they knew and loved and were familiar with to follow Jesus. He had to have said something compelling or you just don't do that. Now what Jesus did was he gave what we call a conditional promise. A conditional promise. And a conditional promise always has two things. A command, follow me. Here, here's the condition of the promise. Follow me. That's the condition. Follow me. And if you follow me, here's the promise. I will make you. I will make you to become. What a powerful word. Because the word become comes from a word, it's genomai. And that doesn't mean anything to you. I just like saying it, genomai, because it's the word become is what genomai is all about. And it means to come into existence, to be created, to be changed radically. I'm not doing damage to the word to say that it's strong enough that he's saying, I'm going to turn you into something, transform you into something totally unreachable apart from me. If you follow me, I'm going to bring a mighty change to your very life and character. Not just out here externally, but I'm going to change you radically on the inside. I'm going to radically change you. Get on my. I'm going to make you to become. Now, all they'd ever been was fishermen. Now, that's fine. It's a, it's a fine trade. But look how Jesus turns it. He says, you've been fishing for fish. But if you will follow me, something's going to happen to you. Radical. And it's going to be so strong that you're going to be so persuasive. Men are going to be captured by your life. Can you catch that now? Men are going to be captured by your life. I'm going to make you to become. Because I want you to notice the condition. Follow me. He didn't say acknowledge me and then go on back to your business. He didn't say acknowledge me on the Sabbath and the rest of the week live the way you want. He said personally, individually, wholly, completely, thoroughly, consummately follow me. And it's only in the following that you're going to become. Now, if I shared this message with most church, or I don't say most, a lot of churches out there, they would look at me like a deer stares at headlights. Because to them, you go up to a lot of people and say, why are you in church? Well, uh, I got some friends here. Uh, 
You know, it's just, I've always been in church. My parents were in church, grandparents. They sat right there in the same pew I do. But why do you go to church? Well, it's just we always have. I never really thought about that. Well, you ought to. Because what it comes down to is, why are you a Christian? Why? Why are you a Christian? Well, here's why. If you're a real one, it's not because you're going to be a part of a denomination or a non-denomination like this. It's not so you can have some buddies at church. not so you can be in a holy social club. It's to follow him. It's to follow him. And you know why Christianity doesn't work for so many people? They say, well, I tried it. It didn't do a thing for me. He didn't answer my prayer. I just got into more trouble. It was a disappointment. Let me tell you why it was a disappointment. You didn't follow him. You didn't follow him. Because I know this. If you had followed Jesus, it would have worked. See, a car is made for gas, not sand. You can't get a brand new car and pour sand down the gas tank and then say, well, it didn't work for me. You got to put fuel in there, what the car was designed for. Christianity was not designed for casual Christianity. Christianity was designed for disciples. And disciples follow him. Oh, we're going to get a bunch of this in the weeks to come. I'm just wetting your whistle. I promise you, there's a bunch more of this coming in the weeks to come. When the two brothers heard Jesus' words, it became like an immediate, irresistible challenge, a promise of something they had never known. Hear me carefully. Jesus' words opened a door of opportunity they had never seen. It called to something deep within them. It plucked a string in their soul. It sounded a note. It played a chord that every person desires to be played. Well, what is it? Their destiny as a human being. Jesus said, you've been catching fish, but I wired you to follow me and win men. Here's Simon Peter going, wow. See you, Dad. See you, Nets. See you, Fish. And just a few years later, old salty Simon Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And preaches a message that if you read it, it takes three minutes to read it. 3,000 people came to Christ. Follow me, Peter, and I'm going to make you to not just do something, but to be something. And for the rest of his life, he was a fisher of men. Peter has caught me. His life, I thank God for Simon Peter's life. So here's Jesus, three immediately's. Immediately the Spirit came upon him. Immediately he was driven into the wilderness. Immediately the disciples responded to his profound call. 
You following Jesus? What a wonderful word from Pastor Jeff. In today's message, we were shown what it means to be a Christian who truly lives a Christ-centered life. Even when it seems like you're doing everything right and life is going well, it's not enough to coast in your faith. Seek after the heart of Jesus day in and day out by remaining committed to your sacrifice. He put himself on the cross so that you could be saved. Store up your treasures in heaven with your service. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. In the next installment of Hardwired, Pastor Jeff wants you to know what it means to live a life entrenched in the heart of Jesus. As Christians going about our daily routines, it can be easy to put church and communion with others on the back burner. We get so caught up in our own issues with the Lord that we forget what will hold it all together for us. Grow in your closeness with the Lord by maintaining a spirit of service to spreading His gospel to the world. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Mark, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.